Since 2009, SharesPost has been a leader in the secondary market for private company shares. With its network of 44,000 accredited investors and 150,000 members, SharesPost has transacted in more than 190 private companies. Whether you're an investor or a shareholder looking for liquidity, SharesPost has a solution for you. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Coming up on Equity, Magic Leap raises more money, Uber's ex-CEO is going into venture capital, Sequoia is raising a massive fund, and game shows go mobile with HQ Trivia. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Katie Roof, joined by my colleague, Matthew Lindley. Hello. Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief, Alex Wilhelm. Hello. And our special guest today is Eric Fang, who is a general partner at Kleiner Perkins. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for being here. So good to have you here. Why does Magic Leap need money? <laughs> He's an investor in Magic Leap, by the way. <laughs> but wait, first, let's, let's talk about the news and what happened. Okay. Um, so Magic Leap did it again, is the short the short gist of this. And there's two main perspectives. But quickly, the, the broad point is uh, Magic Leap, this uh, augmented reality technology company, ish, ish, uh, raised $461 million uh, from Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund, to the best of my knowledge. Now, this is a continuation of its Series D. So if you go back to October uh, 2017, the, the company raised $502 million. Add $461 million to that, you get $963 million. Uh, for this kind of two tranche Series D, bringing the aggregate capital into the firm about two point three billion. Um, now Lindley made a very good point in that there's a lot of snark in the uh, Twitter sphere about this, and uh, there's two kind of core perspectives that are out there. So one is from Shira Ovid uh, from Bloomberg Staffly. She nailed this, and she said this is just more evidence that Magic Leap is not really a tech company, but is actually a company that exists to collect vast sums of investment money. And then on the more positive side, Kyle Russell, our old friend, says that it's actually very hard to make an ecosystem. So I'm kind of curious, which side do we come down on? Are we giggling about this, or do we think there may be some sort of eventual conclusion to this uh, experiment? Well, why would why did Kleiner Perkins invest in in Magic Leap? Uh, incredibly big, bold, disruptive vision, and we like to dream big. That's what has been our mantra and ethos for 45 years. So when an entrepreneur comes and is really going to change the face of computing, it's worth a shot. That's that's the business that we're in. And I'll offer a third uh, uh, way to look at that, which is that raising capital is absolutely a skill and an asset of a company. It's um, You can argue that it can be deployed too much, just like you know, a great product designer may tweak the pixels and the the layout and the animations too much. But to have that eye is an absolute skill of a company. To have a great product thinker is is a great asset and skill of a company. Similarly, a company that can raise capital, it's a great asset and skill. So that's just a, another alternative viewpoint. So that raising I'll have. capital is a skill. I mean, but don't you want them to spend it wisely? I mean, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want that. If I were a VC, I wouldn't want to feel like they were just skilled at raising capital. I'd want that to feel like they there was actually a business need for them to raise that capital. Absolutely. And and I think to the the second point that uh, that you read with Kyle's tweet, uh, what they are doing is uh, it is a very large, disruptive, uh, challenging vision that's going to take a lot of resources to, to achieve. Um, but uh, one thing I always tell my entrepreneurs is that I can't always tell you exactly what it will take for you to be successful, but I can guarantee you that if you run out of money, you will fail. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> that That is the one terminal condition of any startup if you run out of money. So, um, you, again, you can argue about how much is the right amount, but I know that zero is the wrong amount. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, though, if you, well, if you look at, um, I mean, let's even go back to 
this is a bad comparison, but if, let's even go back to something like Salesforce, right? Like what did Salesforce have to do? They had to create a next generation platform, which involved first ripping people, well, first building their own hardware, then ripping people off of old hardware to get to get it onto their hardware, then convincing developers that their that their services were more powerful than actually working on stuff that was on that original hardware. And there's this whole stack of things that need to be done in order to create a new platform, right? Sure. This is like the you know this is like the nigh tragedy of Oculus is they like did not pull that off, or that I mean VR was always probably going to be relatively niche, right? But like Apple was able to pull it off, and Google was able to pull it off, and the number of names you can list that did that is like extremely small, and like because of just like the sheer volume of stuff that needs to be done you probably need like a ton of capital to not only you know not only be able to research and develop whatever the headset is that they're working on but also like have the freaking people to go out and do all of this stuff because it is a lot to get done have you tried out their product or whatever version of their product they've they're working on because i i haven't so to me i'm just like this this ar headset is raising an insane amount of money i just don't and i can't process why but i mean maybe the technology really is mind-blowing yeah i i actually personally haven't uh, the investment was done before um i was investing at kleiner um so i haven't but i i hear really great things so this yeah. reminds me of the the first time i got to use hololens the microsoft mm. uh, ar that i have tried nerd helmet yeah so Same. i yeah, and I, I I was really skeptical that weird day up in Redmond. They're like, by the way, look at this. And uh, I put it on, and I was like, this is going to be terrible. And it was the opposite of terrible. I really, really liked it. And it was one of those weird experiences when I was like, oh, this is actually quite different, and I'm kind of enthused. I hate to be like a fanboy, but like I was, I was excited about it. So I'm hoping this works out the same way, because as a consumer, I would always love to be amazed by new products and platforms. But, you know... Do they have to raise two point three billion before they put anything into the market that's commercially available? That that is what scares me. Not the scale of the bet per se, but the fact that there's no product yet that I can go out and use my credit card on. I mean, I think I think Eric's got a good point, which is like raise money if you can, and if money is cheaper, it's kind of flying at you. Then just go for it as long as your cap table isn't getting like totally blown up, right? Um, but that being said. Magic Leap, I think, is in this unique position where, you know, we had this, there was this sort of slim window for guys like Oculus and the HTC Vive to kind of come in and say, okay, like, we're going to be the next generation computing platform. And fortunately, we skipped that and went straight to AR, right? Um, <laughs> like, thank, thankfully, we're not walking around with headsets on our face. Until um, Ready Player One, the movie comes out. Yeah, until until that comes out. But, for, you know, fortunately, we skipped that and went straight to AR because it turns out po- people like Pokemon in their like in New York City on the street through their phone versus like being in I don't know whatever the gym stadiums are like that they fight Pokemon in I'm really really blank on Pokemon it's been gyms, years I think. yeah it's been years since I've played that game but I mean it's it turns out like AR is like a better experience than VR right or like or maybe it's just like a more like generally applicable experience than VR so if you're trying to like if you're trying to get into that and create some kind of brand new product or not even brand new product, which is a brand new way of literally interfacing with the internet, right? Then that's this theoretically the TAM is like extremely high, right? Like if, I, yeah, if you're a platform player, the TAM goes up by 10x. Yeah, um, more than that probably, right? I mean, if sure. you, I mean, but if you look at a lot of the 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 plays that even the big guys are making, it's all about changing the ways we like interface with the internet. Apple came out with the AirPods, which are this sort of wireless, detach, totally detached from my device, but still able to interface with the internet with music, just for music for now. And like Siri kind of sucks, or actually Siri re- really sucks. And then you have Google Home and Alexa, 
which you're talking to them, telling them to play songs, set reminders, things like that. These are like new ways of of interacting with computing. And if you look at just, I mean, if you, you read all these reports about AirPods are going to be huge and they're, they're, you know, the actual market for them is really, really big and Alexa is going to be huge and the actual market for that is really, really big. If you actually pull, I mean, again, you know, all things said, they have to do it, right? But if you actually create a new platform like that, that changes the way you interface with how you like work on the internet. Again, like six billion is whatever. Right? Don't you think there's a danger though in in being like a six billion dollar plus company before there's ever a product? I mean, what if the product flops? Then a lot of people lose a lot of money. I, I personally think it's getting a little out of control. But again, I have not seen what Magic Leap is working on, so maybe it's just really, really amazing. Just the, the, they have to do more, right? I mean, like every time they raise more money, the scale of their success has to get bigger because there's more of a of an inherent promise built into their cap table, and um, that's why I'm nervous for them. I mean, but I mean, frankly, for for us sitting here, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it'll come out eventually, right? So we'll we'll see how we, we'll it'll be in the TC office at some point. We'll play with it, or y'all will play with it. I guess. Also, I feel like in 2018, six billion dollars is actually not that big for like crazy, <laughs> crazy overvalued no startups. Product? <laughs> with no product, though, like that's pretty big. I mean, we're no, talking no commercially bank. available product. I mean, yeah. right. see, the, I think Katie's point is the, is the the real core thing that scares me here. If they were 2.3 billion and then go down to V2 of their product, I would be like, whatever. All right, but like, just I haven't been able to touch it. And that's. I yeah. mean, the, the the biggest value of launching is to get an assessment from the market if there is product market fit for what you're building, but pharma companies, they they don't beta test their drug uh, to prove that people want a cure for this disease. They just have a lot of confidence that if I can solve this disease, that people will want to purchase my drug so they can put their heads down and really build and grind out and raise money. And I think there's just a lot of confidence uh, from the Magic League team and their investors that there's going to be product market fit here. But what are they curing? Boredom? Um, I, I think they're, they're curing a, a lot of interesting things around... Um, the power of bringing information directly to you in a visual way without having to hold up and be separated from that via screen. It's a very natural, real-world interface. So, But there's been a lot of money poured into VR and also smart glasses and all, all sorts of stuff over the past few years. And I mean, as we saw with like Google Google Glass and like Snap Spectacles and whatever, like a lot of these, uh, a lot of these glasses don't get the the fanfare that they thought they were going to get. So is there a danger of that happening with Magic Leap? Yeah, I, I think there's always a risk. Um, but it may be one where a um, 80% solution, even a 90% solution uh, is not enough and you'll never be able to test the hypothesis. You know, like... Um, Eighty percent of a car is probably not enough. You got you got to have all <laughs> the wheels and the steering wheel before you know, and that just takes uh, that takes a lot of capital. You know, with with Elon and his vision, you, you needed charging stations and a bunch of infrastructure and a lot of stuff to get to that point. So, um, and Elon took the iterative the approach. I mean, he launched a the Roadster, which was essentially a Lotus with some batteries in it, and then he built up from there. Whereas this is the different approach. This is going kind of full stack at once, which is, was Kyle's original point about how hard this is to do. But we could debate this all day. How about they just release a product? Uh, we get to play with it, and then we'll know. Or, okay. co- or I got another alternative. You guys, <laughs> there is another $6 billion. You take the podcast on the road <laughs> to Florida, <laughs> and you go to them and get the demo. If we TC think we'll have to do a video the... for Magic Leap to, to show what it looks like. I mean, if TC will give us the budget, we will take the podcast to Florida. I'm just saying, like, well, I'll go. Okay. Yeah, we have. well, we have someone in Florida. We, we go international at TC. TC has a budget. We're owned by Verizon, let's be real. Come um, on. <laughs> but anyway. It's all Verizon's fault. Um, Thanks, Uncle Lowell. But anyway, um, so yeah, we we had some other stuff we wanted to talk about as well. Uh, 
Travis. Who? Yeah, oh, yeah, he, he's a uh, yeah. He raised he's raising whatever, starting a fund. <laughs> that guy we don't talk about from the company this we never ever Uber. talk about Uber. Well, actually, oh, we, tra- you, you're Travis invested is, in Uber, right? We are an investor, a very proud investor in Uber. But I love how Travis is like Prince. It's like first name. He's like Gaga now. It's just it's just Travis. There's no other. <laughs> Travis, <It's> Travis. K. <laughs> okay. Travis, that, that guy who ran Uber that uh, left earlier this or last year, whatever year we're in right now, yeah. 2017. Ran and co-founded. Yes, he yes. Ran and co-founded uh, Uber. He wasn't their first CEO, though, but yes, he was their CEO for a long time. And now he's starting a venture fund. And that's it. <laughs> What's well, it what, called? Let's see here. He, tw- he tweeted it yesterday. Uh, what, it's, no, it's it's called the 10100 Fund focused on large-scale job creation with investment areas to include real estate, e-commerce, emerging innovations in China and India. So what very are specific. He, he, he actually <laughs> said he wanted it to be pronounced 10100. Um, but in any he case. He wrote 10,100 because that's what the number would be if you put a comma in there. I don't know. But whatever it is, we get, he says he wants to, he, he's, he, well, he's um, been making investments already, joining boards, working with entrepreneurs, blah, 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 blah. So, <laughs> I mean, he already, yes, he already is worth a lot of money. Uh and so, yeah, I guess real estate, e-commerce, China, India, uh, he's, he's focused on those areas. But uh, there was like a joke that someone posted on, on, on Twitter yesterday. It says, in CB radio parlance, 10100 means you're... And the beep, 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 beep. <laughs> so this is... On the toilet? So, in, <laughs> so, the, in the... Yeah, whatever. So this either... So he's either hilariously self-aware or still blind to existing systems. I don't know. I'm not familiar with CB radio parlance, but that was an interesting joke. Well, I mean, 10100, 10, it's like a reference to his old address or something like that, right? If I remember correctly. So he, I'm pretty sure he's just screwing with everyone. But... Um, <laughs> No, I mean it's it's one of those things where it, it's it, it's going to be whenever you see this insane creation of wealth from like Facebook or Twitter or whatever, you always have this diaspora of people that leave out and then go either go start companies or start investments or something like that. And I feel like this is probably like the probably going to be the first like distribution of wealth created by Uber. Um, I mean, it is coming from Travis Kalanick, which is going to be a thing. But at the same time, it's like we haven't really seen any capital like returns from Uber actually deployed into the real world to create that kind of next generation of whoever's coming out of Uber. Because um, it hasn't gone public. Because it hasn't gone public. Now, there was a secondary. So some investors cashed out and theoretically, you know, some people are going to walk away with a little bit of money. Right. And actually be able to sort of start that. Like, you know, I guess we're on like Gen 3 or Gen 4 after Facebook or Twitter. Right. Whatever you want to call it. Um which means rent's going to go up again. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's it's been a while since we've seen this like explosion of capital actually enter the market, which is, you know, when it comes to investing in startups and things like, and actually starting new companies, that normally is a good thing, right? But uh, my question here is that, um, except you can call SoftBank, like on his cell phone, I'm sure, and just be like, I have money, and then he'll Venmo you 30 to 50 uh, $200 million. I didn't know you could it. do that much over Venmo. That's an impressive <laughs> bit of technology. I thought that required some sign-offs by someone. But Travis also recently joined the board of, uh, I'm going to butcher this, is it is it Caro? Cario? K-A-R-E-O. Uh, that broke <clears throat> on March 1st. Um, but I want to say, like, as much as we want to make fun of Travis because of his various adventures in the past, he's not doing what the other Uber co-founder did, Garrett Camp, who created a cryptocurrency. 
which is much worse than I think starting your own venture fund. So I give him points for at least doing something that I understand and has a chance of you know being useful, uh, whereas a, a new crypto won't be. Yeah, I, I actually I love the areas. It, it was a vague description, so unclear exactly what Travis will end up investing in and spending time in. Kind of like Magic Leap's product. Yeah. Oh. Well, well, I thought we've already moved on from that. But, um, anyways, but it's uh, the the couple of examples that he put um, are, I think, very powerful in terms of uh, just something like real estate, which is an area that is uh, a huge market that hasn't seen the type of technology innovation uh, enter in. Uh, and hopefully that is a, um, it, it is a, um, a beacon to help attract more entrepreneurs into that sector, which is pretty exciting. Obviously, India and, and China, a tremendous amount of growth, but uh, just that word real estate, I thought was really uh, provocative. I'm curious, though, if you're thinking about real estate investments around the world right now, from a non-WeWork perspective, what would you think about putting money into? Like, like, what do you think fits under that umbrella? Because I don't have a lot of, like, it could be, like, next-gen construction materials. could it be oh. how to build things. I mean, I, 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 well, I Home selling, yeah. commercial real estate. Well, I mean, there's, stuff, like, there's so. like uh, the that startup called Katera or Katera or whatever, the guys that are basically doing a full-stack, like, make a building, right? You have, have like, architects all the way down to the people that actually make those buildings, and they get, they just recently raised a 160 million dollars from not Travis SoftBank and there was also Compass which I guess you could probably bu- bucket into that uh, that category which also raised I think around 400 million dollars not from Travis from SoftBank so uh, speaking of some of uh, SoftBank venmoing you a ton of money um, it, it's it, it you know it is it is an area that clearly has like a ton of Activity and potential, and these guys are getting you know very very big valuations, right? I mean, Compass is valued in December, raised money, sorry, four hundred fifty million dollars from SoftBank uh, at a valuation of two point two billion dollars. So these guys are creeping up there, and we're not really noticing it. I feel like in the sort of tech, tech bubble, and you know, Travis Kalanick is uh, if he if he sorry Kalanick. Uh, if he if he wants to go after this, obviously he's going <laughs> to clearly be competing with SoftBank, which has a very 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 big checkbook. Well, SoftBank just cashed him out, right? I mean, he cashed out, what, like $1.4 billion of his Uber shares. So presumably he has his own micro-vision fund called his <laughs> checking account. Um, because if it's only a couple hundred million, you've got, you know, $1,400 million, uh, which is $1.4 billion. You can do a lot of damage yourself. I don't know. I mean, I think that we've we kind of walked around this a couple of times, but it'll depend on how good he is investing. And being a really interesting founder, which he has been, does not mean... You know, by itself, you're going to be a good investor. So he is can, a hustler, though. Like he he's does like have he that. does no get. I mean, it. against uh, better judgment and many other things, he has gotten Uber to be whatever it is, eighty billion dollars, right? So um, depends right. on if you want to blend it or a non. Yeah, yeah that's a weird. Well, number. I mean, it's I feel like their valuation keeps growing every time I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like seventy billion, and then maybe a, like took a little bit of a haircut Six with the Six trillion stuff. dollar company. <laughs> whatever it is, they're worth a lot of money. So speaking of venture funds, um, a well-known venture firm here, I guess you could say the most well-known inside the Valley, Sequoia, sorry to Kleiner Perkins, but but Sequoia is raising a lot of money for multiple venture venture funds. Uh, One of them is a growth fund, and they're targeting about $8 billion for their next global growth fund. And while that sounds small compared to like SoftBank, (laughs) Eight billion is a lot of money for for Silicon Valley, and it's a lot for even for Sequoia, which their last growth fund was like two billion. And then on top of that, they're going to raise um, likely about six more funds that could could maybe be over four billion combined. So in total, they could be raising twelve billion in funds uh, soon. 
So that's it's a lot of money for for Sequoia, which is known as having usually the best returns in all of Silicon Valley. So I am told. But if if you want to share your returns, Kleiner Perkins or other places want to share their returns with me and prove that they're better than Sequoia, I will I will stand corrected. But that is the reputation that Sequoia has. Uh, Twelve billion dollars is nuts, right? Because we're pretty late in this cycle. So if you're going to deploy all that capital now. When, by the time you look for liquidity, we're going to be in a, a rebuilt area of the business cycle. So I don't know. It just strikes me as a really weird moment to raise four extra prior growth fund. I mean, maybe if we have five more years of this bull cycle, but we don't. I that's ugh. well. I mean, if you can find five WhatsApps, then well, just one. <laughs> right? They were, yeah, they pretty much were the only investor in WhatsApp, which sold for nineteen billion. Yeah, so they had, you know, they, they're in. They own like almost a quarter of Dropbox, and that. Is last valued at ten billion. We don't know if it's going to go public at that, but they've. I mean, they've obviously had a, a number of gigantic and in, um, investments over the years. But the more money you have, the more it raises the stakes, and so your returns aren't aren't the same. Uh, I mean, it, it just becomes much harder to turn twelve billion dollars to eight x that, or to multiply that by eight uh, than it than it is to multiply one billion dollars by eight, et cetera. So uh, I don't know. If, from a returns perspective that they're expecting it to still be the same. I think the idea behind this is companies are staying private longer. So there's they they have a lot of companies in their own portfolio that maybe in the dot-com days would have gone public long ago. But these companies don't want to feel like they have to go yet. But they are capital-intensive businesses that still need more money to fuel their growth. And this will give Sequoia the opportunity to help stay involved with the company and help be the money that is in the next rounds leading up to an eventual IPO. I just remember when we were like losing our minds back in 2013 or whatever, when Andreessen Horowitz was raising a billion and a half yeah. dollar fund. How will they ever spend it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the goalposts have moved. The goalposts have moved in terms of uh, the things that uh, traditional venture firms look at and where they deploy capital around the world. Um, and if you think about our product as a uh, as a firm, there's really two elements of it. One is the fund itself, uh, which is the size of the fund and where we've raised that capital from. And then the second is the process by which we deploy it in terms of um, is it algorithmic? Is it um, uh, a small investment committee, a large investment committee? Is it in sector A or sector B? Those are the two variables that we have to play. So the way I look at this is um, it's a way for a firm to play with variable number one around the size of the fund and the co- contract of the fund. And it's certainly something that, that Kleiner has had a great history doing with things like the iFund. And we, when we launched our first growth fund in, um, uh, in the clean tech space, and then we launched our digital growth fund, which has been fantastic. And uh, as we've adjusted the size of the venture fund for the opportunity. So this, to me, is a, an evolution of a firm continuing to uh, tweak and innovate on their product, just like Facebook tweaks and innovate on their newsfeed algorithm. So, forexing your growth fund size is a, in your view, it is a small change. It is a tweak, not a fundamental reshaping of how they approach growth capital. Well, it's around the world. I can't speak to, to exactly well, right, how they're thinking to, about it, but it's. To, to me, it feels like a massive shift in strategy because you're going to buy a lot more private company equity with $8 billion than two. And so you're presuming there's enough out there to actually invest the money efficiently. Right. Well, it's a pretty different wager. Think about a firm that maybe has not done, uh, say, fintech in a while and they decide to invest in fintech. Is that a massive shift in strategy that is, is worthy of a lot of discussion or is it just, you know, they, they tweak their product and, and we don't go about talking about it. So I think, I, think, would... I guess it's sort of like a follow-on fund, except that these days the follow-ons are giant uh, yeah. because these companies are unicorns, decacorns, whatever they are, and they're just staying private forever. So I guess if they're they're hoping to have 
more like uber size companies uh, leading, <laughs> I don't know, leading up to an IPO. I mean, they're in Airbnb. You know, they have really massive companies in their portfolio. Airbnb is not about to IPO anytime soon. Their CFO just left. So, you know, it's companies like that that they're helping uh, to stay in the mix and still be the the guys leading or at least participating heavily in their next investment rounds. Yeah, and I say guys, they have a woman. No. Yeah, but also yeah. people gave them the money, right? I mean, like if they've raised this much money, people believe in their vision. So they've told someone some sort of very reasonable story about how they're going to deploy this amount of capital. I hope it wasn't just SoftBank bad, we go after them. I hope it's more... Yeah, no, so um, my understanding, it's, it's not just about that, but... Um, but look, SoftBank has certainly raised the stakes. Uh, there's a hundred billion dollar fund that I wouldn't say that these venture firms are necessarily competing with, because in a lot of ways they can help. I mean, SoftBank uh, has helped a lot of these companies uh, not feel pressured to go public. Or if anything, you know, when it when you're looking at Uber, it's helped some venture firms. Uh, sell some of their position in Uber and, and make some money there. So like so it can help some venture funds in some way, in some ways, but it also um, can put some companies out of business if they're competing <laughs> with a company that just, or a startup, or massive startup that just got billions of dollars in capital. And uh, it can be really hard to, like to stay WAG, around. Yeah, WAG versus Rover. I mean, they just put like infinite money behind WAG. Well, yeah, and, then, and that's... They both are in the same businesses, although they focus on different things. But just, I mean, in general, like, you know, is, is it good news for Postmates that DoorDash raised a lot of money from SoftBank? No. Uh, but is, is it going to be good news for Sequoia's portfolio's competitors when they raise massive amounts of money for from Sequoia? No. So maybe that's part of the thesis, too, is like getting access to massive capital, which this will now help them help their companies with, um, could be good for Sequoia companies. I just feel like going into as an investor, going to a new sector is a bigger change. I think uh, a completely different investment philosophy, like uh, investing for control ownership and, and then trying to run the company afterwards. That's a big change. But in terms of changing the variable around the check sizes, I think it's a smaller change uh, than you might think. That's what I was trying to get at earlier, and that's interesting because I, th- I would have guessed that would not be the case, but I am happy to be wrong about that one. I mean, do we? Is this gonna? I mean, even as these checks get bigger and and you know companies stay private longer and so on and so on and so forth, does Sequoia and any other firm that's raising these these massive massive funds is is this kind of like a a precursor to employees actually getting liquidity prior to an IPO? Like actually being able to cash out in some way if Sequoia walks into, I don't know, we'll say DoorDash or Airbnb or something like that and says, we want to write you guys a $300 million check um, and we'll buy out, you know, 30% of that being secondary shares for your early employees. Like, is that, does that happen soon? Maybe, hopefully? Well, I think there's <laughs> been a, there's been a pretty active secondary market for a decade now. So it's just, um, yeah, there, it, it, it ebbs and flows. I think there's some periods of time when there's more secondary volume in transactions, others when uh, there's less. But this is not the start of secondaries. It's been around for a while now. And uh, whether it's an increase in an uptake in secondaries, very, very, it very may well could be. Well, let's talk about um, a much smaller amount of money. Indeed, uh, a very, very tiny amount compared to the numbers mm. we just went over. Um, everyone's favorite slash least favorite uh, trivia app has raised $15 million at, I believe, a $100 million post. So HQ Trivia... Now with uh, more money to give away, I'm curious. Does anyone here still play HQ Trivia? I stop. I never I actually play. I occasionally play. So uh, <laughs> I actually have known the founder Russ Yusupov for a long. time. 
time, kind of. Um, I mean, he he co-founded Vine, and so I met him when I was living in New York. Uh, and yeah, he's been trying out various apps since since Vine, and he sent this to me one day, just being like, "Oh, you should test out my thing." And I was busy. And the next a few days later, Josh Constein was like, "Can you connect me with Russ? Like, I've heard this HQ trivia thing is blowing up." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> sure." <laughs> and then and then Josh wrote it, and then it, and then it actually really really blew up after that. And I mean, it actually was was, was fairly small at the time. But the other day, I tuned into HQ trivia, and there were like about a million people playing at once. I mean, it's it's actually a huge audience. I mean, considering a lot of sites and a lot of apps have more than a million users, but to see them on concurrently on a pretty young app, that's pretty cool. And basically what it is, it's sort of like who wants to be a millionaire, but um, in the app format and everyone gets to play and everyone has a chance of winning money, although there's so many people playing, odds are that even if you do get all 12 questions right, you're going to get very little money. But occasionally people win thousands of dollars. So, uh, I mean, they ha- they're not making money yet. They're just no, giving it away. Th- th- that's the thing. Like, now they have more money to to give away. Because I-, I used to play, I don't know, gosh, four times a week. And actually, over Christmas, I got my family to play along with me, like all of us in a room, like listening to my phone. It was really fun. My nephews thought it was awesome. But uh, I'm curious how they monetize this. And also, how long will $15 million go if you're going to increase your payouts to make the uh, – Per winner payout make more sense with a much higher base. Um, it's expensive. It's an oddly expensive app to run, right? I mean, the software is free. Mark yeah. doesn't cost that much to have them stand there, but like live streaming is not easy. It takes it takes real capital. But uh, I think in the grand scheme of things, their prize money is actually some of the cheapest, most cost efficient customer acquisition money that we've seen. It's it's cheaper to offer. Um, uh, a daily prize than it is to spend that money on an ad network and try to acquire the user that way. Um, and, and you can see it in the tweets. Like, um, People freak out. They love winning 75 cents. It's like the most amazing <laughs> 75 cents that you've ever won. And, but you uh, feel that's, that's powerful. You feel you, very proud. Because yeah. you feel smart to that's get right. those questions right. Like, right. I haven't yeah. won. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I don't play like every day or anything, yeah. but like I haven't won. So yeah. I would feel smart if I won. Yeah. You know, the, the, the most interesting thing about this is, uh, you know, we were talking earlier earlier about where we are in the innovation cycle. Maybe we're towards the end, and there's definitely a lot of arguments for that, and it's maybe not a great time for uh, consumer investing because of uh, the strength of the, beh- the behemoths and, and Facebook and these juggernauts. And every time something like HQ pops, it's amazing. It's, it's just great for all of us consumer investors that see a spark, that see this light. Uh, it's conversely um, when people say that uh, that we are at the end of this innovation cycle, like as a consumer investor, a little piece of me dies inside. <laughs> so I love that 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 these these apps, they can go from nowhere and still uh, create these massive, interesting moments in time. And you, know, you can argue if it's sustainable or not, but the fact is that every couple of months, there's yet another one. And that is exciting. I mean, even the consumer gaming space, just keeping it pretty narrow, Fortnite, a PC, Xbox, yeah. and PS4 game has blown up from essentially zero to a kajillion, I want to say, in the last two months. Yeah. yeah. This, PUBG, same sort of PUBG thing, right? yeah. at the end of last year, yeah. Pokemon Go, to go back to another yeah. reference that you had. I mean, the fact is that as, as, as much as we want to be skeptical and pessimistic about the market, the proof is in this this constant stream of great innovation. And yes, we don't know if it's lasting. We don't know if it's going to lead to another huge breakout consumer company, but they all have a sh- They all have a chance. They all have a shot on goal. I'd be super depressed if none of this happened, right? If there was nothing cracking the top of the app store other than the incumbents. But like clockwork, like every couple of months, there's something new. And that is that is the most exciting thing. And right now, it's clearly HQ. Would you invest in a gaming app? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, 
Uh, our firm, uh, we were very, very excited to have invested in Zynga early on. Uh, my partner, Bing Gordon, uh, uh, led that, was on the board. Uh, we're an investor in a phenomenal gaming app right now called Network uh, that has a really cool game called Legendary Out. You guys should play it. Check it out. No plug right there. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, gaming is uh, it, it's a great category, and we absolutely would love to invest in more gaming companies. The problem, though, is that so many of these games, I mean, we've talked about Angry Birds. We've talked about a lot of different yeah. games, and some of them have huge success but not forever usually not forever I, I mean because people might yeah, get sick of the game they might find another game yeah they're hits driven that's uh so how do you keep how do you find the opportunity that's going to keep reinventing the wheel and coming up with new hits well I, I think the um, the idea the, the kind of the gold standard is that now with cloud-based gaming with network effects uh, there is a possibility to create a true platform where you don't just uh, release something and hope that it becomes a hit, but you actually release something and manufacture a hit. That's the that's the goal that every gaming company continues to chase. And um, it's not implausible. I think it's still possible that can happen. And even if it doesn't, you can find out that these hits can still be incredibly valuable. Like early investors in, uh, in Rovia are incredibly happy. Early investors in... Uh, um, and Supercell are incredibly happy. Early investors in Niantic King, yeah. and King, yeah. they're incredibly, incredibly happy. So Also, um, but like, think about Riot Games, they made League of Legends, which yeah. now we don't talk about in terms of like being a massive consumer hit, but it's still enormous. I mean, it still has like six or seven global yeah. uh, like esports leagues that lead to worlds, which millions of people watch. I mean, That's it's right. still fantastically huge. And That's it's right. still here, like, what, eight, nine years later? Yeah. That's really impressive. And some people are talking about with HQ Trivia how they could have broadcast partnerships and other sorts of things because uh, it, it, it really doesn't need to exist solely within an app, that they can that there are other ways that they could monetize this business. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Uh, it's, it's a fun game for now, to be honest. Like I was in Vegas this weekend with friends, and I got the alert on my phone. And I was like, have you guys seen HQ Trivia? You guys can win money. It's fun. It's cool. And, you know, we tried to use our brain power to answer the questions. I mean, it's, the funny thing is the first three questions are ridiculously easy. And you're, you know, and then even though it's multiple choice, it's it's really hard to get the remaining nine questions. There's some that are just really counterintuitive. So, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's a fun, family-friendly game I with a like funny co-host, Scott yeah. Rogowski. It's kind of quirky. I like it when he calls great. me an HQD. I'm not going to lie. It's uh, my favorite yeah. part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Come back next week. Duke sucks. All right. Every week we have to On cut that, that out. <laughs> <laughs> Every fucking week, Lindley. I gotta get like a Duke shirt. <laughs> like, a, like a Duke I'll fucking hat. Duke I don't even like Duke, but now I think I have to because yeah, Lindley hates them. Yeah. Uh, well, it's topical. You should leave it in because you know. Just just leave all yeah, this. It's a tournament. Yeah. All right, everyone. We want to say a special thanks to our producer, TechCrunch's own Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickavet. Thank you to Katie Roof. Thank you to Matthew Lindley. And thank you to you for leaving us that five-star iTunes review. That's Equity. We'll see you all next Friday.